Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Oh, what a great time of worship. Good morning, church. A special greeting to you in the room, special greeting to you that are watching online, and, and thanks for the interaction. We've had some great interaction already this morning. I encourage you to continue to do that. Pose a question, um, comment, interact with us uh, any way that you uh, so desire. Uh, as we're settling in this morning, how many of you received a Christmas gift? Uh, most of you. Some of you come see me after. Uh, we'll provide some counseling if you feel kind of left out. Um, how many of you ordered something online and it had to be delivered for you to give? Yeah, many of you. Uh, for those online, probably a lot of online activity. Uh, did anyone order a gift and you're still waiting for it to arrive? Uh, no wonder I didn't get it yet. Okay, uh, you're still waiting. Um, there, there's something kind of exciting when you order something uh, online and, and when it shows up, you get this delivery confirmation. Yeah, some of your eyes are lighting up. It's kind of an exciting moment to go, it's arrived, it's here. And, and that's kind of how we led up to Christmas, even with this Hope Delivered series that Pastor Scott's been preaching. Hope was delivered in the person of Jesus Christ. We've celebrated that, and it's like, now we got through it. We were a little nervous this week, Thursday. We were still holding our breath, right? Is 2021 really coming? Or, or you know, what's going to happen? Anybody else just feel a little nervous? 1139, you're kind of watching some online stuff, and it's like, is it really going to happen? Are we starting a new year? Is this new year going to be better? Uh, it was interesting even watching some of the, the national media activity, and they were talking about hope. Oh, we, we hope the new year is going to be better. You know what? We have just celebrated the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we've seen through this Hope Delivered series, right, the person of Jesus Christ brings hope. And yet, and here's what I want us to look at this morning. See, something can be delivered but not received. Uh, did anybody get a gift for Christmas and you opened it, and it's like, oh, this is fantastic, but you refuse to take it out of the box and use it. Anybody? Anybody just holding on to that gift going, I just don't want to break it out. I don't want to use it. What the Bible tells us is that salvation, hope through Jesus Christ that has been delivered in the person of Jesus is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do to earn this free gift. But listen, I've also discovered that a gift is not yours until you receive that gift. Have you received the gift of salvation? Have you received the gift of hope? Maybe you have received it, but it's just sort of tucked away. You're afraid to break it out and really use it. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning as we wrap up this series. How do we know if the delivery has actually been confirmed? Well, Paul tells us what hope looks like when it's lived out in us. Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. 
Uh, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture. If you're online right now, you can hit the website, our church website, sfchurch.com. Right at the top of the page, there's a little thing for a small group study guide, and you can follow along with this message. You can fill in a few blanks. Uh, if you're sitting in the room, you may have gotten that on Saturday and printed out the notes. Follow along with us. You can do that. If you don't get that, just, man, email us at info at sfchurch.com. We'd love to send that to you weekly. Um, it also has some study questions that as we break out through the week and meet in small groups, we begin to interact over the biblical text and, and grow in Christ together more. Also, there's some great Bridge Kid resources on there. I was looking at some of that this morning. Pastor Brad's got some great resources up there for you and your family. So uh, just follow along with us. But as you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, throughout this series, we've been talking about hope. Now, now hope can really be misunderstood. And so just really quick, hope defined is this. First, there's a worldly definition of hope. You can see it on the screen. A worldly definition is a feeling that what is wanted will happen. Uh, it's understood in this way that hope can demonstrate either a baseless optimism or a vague yearning after an unattainable good. And, and I couldn't help but think of this perspective on New Year's Eve when I was listening to Ryan Seacrest in, in New York City. Oh gosh, I sure hope things are going to be better, but we really hope things are going to be better in 2021. And I'm going, man, if your hope is in anything in the world, you're going to fail. And yet I'm sitting there rejoicing in hope through the person of Jesus Christ because I've received that hope and I'm living in that hope. But I love Holman Bible Dictionary, the, the biblical definition of what is biblical hope. And it's simply this, biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. More specifically, hope is the confidence that what God has done in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. Somebody say amen. amen. Pastor Scott unpacked this so beautifully on, on Christmas Eve. Because of what God has done in the past, he's been faithful in the past. He's been faithful in the present. He will be faithful today. He will be faithful tomorrow. Folks, that's biblical hope. We learn to live in that hope. So hope is defined, but there's a paradox in hope. So Colossians chapter 1, the first thing I want us to see is the paradox of biblical hope. Paul says, beginning in verse 24, now let me just remind you, a paradox is simply a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. Okay, it's a, it's a paradox. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 24, Colossians chapter 1. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering. L let me just stop right there. The first six words that Paul unveils to us, now I rejoice in my suffering. Somebody say amen. Well, that's hard though, isn't it? Come on, really. I rejoice in my suffering. Lord, I rejoice for 2020. Lord, I rejoice for pandemic. Lord, I rejoice for suffering. Lord, I rejoice for difficulties. Lord, I rejoice for the hardships that I'm going through. Lord, I rejoice for, for cancer. I rejoice for the hardships that this life brings because I live in a sinful, fallen world and I'm a broken person. But God, through all that, I rejoice in my suffering. Well, that's hard to do, isn't it? How do we do that? There's a paradox in biblical hope between what God calls us to do and what the world actually lives. 
And so Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Listen what he says, for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What an interesting perspective that Paul says. In essence, if I could kind of paraphrase, he's, he's saying, give me what you would give Jesus if he were here so that I can fulfill the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's perspective was totally different. He, he was living with a different perspective of life. Instead of being a victim to our suffering, instead of being a victim to the afflictions, we rejoice in knowing that God is growing us to completeness in Him to fulfill His gospel in a lost and dying world. He's invited us into the mission to receive this hope, to live out this hope, and to see others come to know Christ. You see, when we receive biblical hope, it changes us. It changes our perspective. We live differently because we view our surroundings completely different. To, to put this in perspective for me, there was a situation in my life that, that I will be very honest and transparent about here for a moment um, that, that helps me realize how different your perspective is of your surrounding. Now, I grew up in northern Illinois. We did not have poisonous snakes. Praise the Lord. I moved to Texas, I was introduced to poisonous snakes. Um, but in, in one season of my life, <clears throat> I was still single, 20, feeling kind of hip and cool, and I was out in Southern California, uh, up in Arrowhead Springs, San Bernardino, California, right outside the city, going up into the foothills, beautiful place, Campus Crusade for Christ headquarters was there. I was in a training center, which was down in a bowl, literally set in the mountains, and it was beautiful. And right out the back of the cabins and the, the places that we were staying, it was literally just a, an alleyway, and then it went up into the mountains. And, and the leadership there was very specific to say, now be aware of snakes, poisonous snakes. And I'm like, I, I don't like poisonous snakes. Now, listen, this was so drilled into my head because they had gotten into some of the dorms, they'd gotten into some of the buildings, and so in my head, I'm living with this perspective that something's going to jump out of a tree and get me. I mean, I was just, I, I was cautious. So one evening, I'm walking back toward my dorm after a training session that we had. And as I'm walking around the bend, I hear, now listen, young, hip, cool, mid-20s, here's what I did. Because I'm thinking, this thing's coming after me. It's been following me all day. I just know it. And this thing's coming after me. Listen, here's perspective. What just happened is the sprinkler system was kicking on. <clears throat> but in my mind, my perspective, I was living with this fear of snakes. Now, listen, that seems silly. But that comes up in my mind over and over and over. Because I will live the perspective that I hold. 
And I can either look at the life situations that are going on in my life and in the world, and I can live with a sense of fear and a sense of caution, or I can choose to live in biblical hope, knowing that God's got this. God's got this. I don't care what it is, God's got it. I don't care what it is, God knows what it is. God knew it before I knew it, and he's got a plan even though I'm unaware of his plan. But I can choose to live in biblical hope. When we receive biblical hope, we live differently. We live differently because we view our world differently. We view our circumstances differently. We, we experience things different because of the hope that Jesus has placed in us. All of the hardships, all of the difficulties. Biblical hope is realizing that there are some things in life that you and I don't get over. We only get through with Jesus Christ. There are things that we will never get over, but we will get through with Jesus Christ. Greg Laurie said it really well. He said, biblical hope grows in the garden of adversity. See, it's when we go through those hard times, those difficult, the paradox, as Paul is saying, I rejoice in my suffering. Why? Because God's got this. God is working everything for his honor, for his glory, for his good, not mine. And this goes against so much of what we hear in American church life, right? That, oh, God just wants to bless you. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, God wants to use you to bring honor and glory to himself, to further the kingdom, to bring lost people to know him and live with hope. Amen? Because we live different, I want you to see that hope is revealed. Picking up in verse 26, actually the end of 25 says to make the, the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery, here it is, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, hope was delivered in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we receive that hope, when we begin to live out that hope, guess what happens? That hope is revealed through you and through me, through our life, through our circumstances, through our experiences. As we live with hope, the mystery of the glory and the splendor of Jesus Christ is put on display for a world to see. It is revealed. This mystery that God has chosen to make known is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But see, you can't reveal what you don't possess. You can't reveal what you don't own. What you have not received is a free gift of salvation. So hope is revealed, but hope is personified. Because see, the hope is not you, the hope is Christ in you. So verse 28, Paul simply says, him we proclaim. Him, verse 28, actually points back to Christ in verse 27. So hope is revealed in us and it's Jesus Christ, but it's personified in the person of Jesus. Him we proclaim. 
I rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because I proclaim him. He's revealed in me, but I proclaim him. Him is who? Come on, say it out loud. It's Jesus. Type it in online. Hope is revealed in me, but it's personified in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not people seeing me doing better. It's seeing Christ in me, the hope of glory. And as we grow and mature in Christ, we begin to realize that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Your life, once you accept that free gift of salvation, you begin to realize, wow, my life is really not about me. My life is all about Jesus. And everything that he allows to come into my life is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's for his honor. It's for his glory. So that Christ can be personified and revealed through me. Why? Because I choose to rejoice in suffering. Why? Because I I look at life with a different perspective. I live with a sense of hope. I live with a sense of joy. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen. They do. But that's why Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians 4, speaking of physical death and separation, we grieve, but not as those that what? Have no hope. We live differently. Christians live differently. Christians die differently. Christians suffer differently. Christians live differently because we live with hope. So hope is personified, but then hope is proclaimed. You see, we can receive hope. We can live hope. Hope can be displayed through our life and our choices, but there comes a point that we proclaim him. So that's what he says in verse 28. Him we proclaim. To proclaim is to speak of something. When people look at you and say, how, how do you handle this suffering? How do you handle this so, so uh, delicately, so differently? Your life is just different. What do we do? We proclaim him. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I don't know how I'm getting through this, but what I do know is that Jesus is good. God's hope is good. He carries me through the hard times. We we proclaim him. It's not enough just to go, well, I'm just going to live a really good life and people are going to come to Jesus. Listen, you can't be that good. You can't live that wonderfully because we're still going to mess up in that process. We're still going to struggle. Yes, we can live with hope and cry. We can live with hope and have sorrow and tears. But what do we do? We proclaim him. We point people back to him. So verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's not just teaching people to get through hard times and to suck it up and get through difficulties. It's proclaiming him so that people can come to know him and grow in him to spiritual maturity. Let me ask you a question. Do you proclaim him? When was the last time you personally shared your faith and hope in Jesus Christ with another person? That's a very telling question when you stop and just answer that. Are you living with hope? When was the last time you proclaimed him? When was the last time you shared with somebody the hope that you have experienced in Jesus Christ with another person? That becomes a very telling question. You see, if Jesus has a vision for our future glory, and everything he does in your life and my life moves us towards spiritual maturity in Christ, 
then we have to realize that everything that God is doing is for his glory and he's got us. And he's going to use it. I've discovered in my life that God never wastes anything. Anybody with me? You experience hardship, you experience difficulty. God doesn't waste that. He'll refine that in you. He'll grow that in you. And he'll use that in you to minister and care to the needs of someone else. It's been evident in my life through hardship and through difficulty, through tragedy. But it was really played out in a friend of mine. Her name is Cortina. Uh, Cortina uh, and her husband Rodney uh, served with Leslie and I as part of Campus Crusade for Christ in Dallas for a number of years. And just an incredible family. Uh, I love them. Uh, We were living in Little Rock, Arkansas. Rodney and Cortina were still living in Dallas. And and I found out that Cortina was in Little Rock uh, for cancer treatment. Uh, She was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Uh, UAMS in Little Rock is one of the premier centers. And so Cortina was in Little Rock uh, for treatment. And so I went up to her room just to kind of surprise her. And we sat and visited for a number of hours. Uh, And it was really interesting uh, because she had a nurse. Her name was Diana who would come in the room. And I could just tell there was a sweet relationship between Cortina and Diana. And Cortina, now you got to understand, Cortina is this bubbly, over-the-top personality. So even dealing with cancer, there was this hope that emanated Jesus through her. Um, But when Diana left the room one time, I said, tell me about Diana, because I knew that Cortina was going to have an answer for me. And she said, Diana gets me. I said, what do you mean? She says, she's a cancer survivor. She loves Jesus. So there was an immediate connection between these two ladies. I have a picture of of Cortina and Diana, I think, if we can see it. Cortina's a doll. Now, she lost that battle to cancer about a year and a half or so after this picture was taken. But what always stood out to me was Cortina's understanding that Diana gets me because she's been where I am. Listen. When God takes you and I through a journey, suffering, hardship, sorrow, difficulty, loss of job, broken relationship, addiction, whatever it may be, when God takes you through that journey, what is he doing? He's refining you. He's bringing you to maturity and completeness in Jesus Christ. Why? So that he can use your story of hope to invest in the life of someone else. Because God is not going to waste that experience in your life. I am better equipped to deal with some people in some situations because of things that I have experienced myself. And yet there are some experiences in people's life that I really can't relate to. I can come along and I can love them and I can care for them, but I can't have the same level of care as someone else that's been through that experience. But see, when we live and we proclaim hope, biblical hope lives and it portrays the grace and the mercy of Jesus because we've refined us and he's completing us and he's maturing us. One of the things I see in the text here is that biblical hope, Paul is telling us, probably causes us to live a little bit uncomfortable. Which brings us to our next point that their hope is powered In verse 29, look what he says. For this, what? 
the completeness of the gospel, the mission of Jesus Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all, what does it say? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, so many times, even in the Christian life, we just want to suck it up and do it all on our own. And that is not what God has called us to do. It's not simply about trying harder. It's not simply about really sucking it up and, and trying to be better. It's about surrendering ourselves and living in a way that's probably uncomfortable for us, but experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit through us to do what only He can do in the first place. And so Paul says, for this, I toil, struggling with all His energy. When's the last time that you just took a step of faith and said, God, unless you're in this, it's about to fail? God, I'm getting ready to proclaim your goodness and your mercy. God, I'm not going to make it through this situation if you don't step in and intervene. See, that's the kind of life that biblical hope calls us to live. To live in, in an uncomfortable way that says, God, it is all about you. I know that your strength is sufficient. I know that your, your mercy is sufficient for me to make it through this situation to bring you honor and glory. But God, I'm a wreck. And unless you step in and empower me through the presence of your Holy Spirit, which I have received as a free gift of salvation, then God, we're doomed for failure. I still live almost every day of my life thinking of a quote from Dr. Bill Bright that I heard him say probably a hundred times. Take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Can't tell you how many times that simple principle has driven me outside my personal comfort zone to say, God, do something in me that I'm incapable of doing myself. Display your hope through me. Uh, give me words to say that I am totally incapable to say. And I've stepped into people's lives and into situations to just proclaim his goodness and to proclaim his mercy. And seeing God do things that only God can do. And see, when only God can do something and God shows up and does it, guess who gets the glory? God. Right? Because it's not about me. It's not about you. Our lives, just like Paul, right? I'm going to rejoice in struggling. Why? So that I can bring maturity to the church, so that I can help fulfill the gospel mission to which God has called us. Guys, this is hope delivered. This is hope delivered when you and I live in such absolute surrender that God is working through us in such a way that we see evidence of him on display in everything that we do. What has God brought you through? What has God done in your life and through your life that, that he wants to redeem for his purpose? See, I firmly believe that someone, someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience to proclaim him, to reveal the hope of Jesus Christ. Because if, if hope has been delivered in the person of Jesus Christ and you have received that hope as a free gift of salvation and you are living out that hope in all of your relationships, let me ask you a question. Who is waiting on the other side of your obedience? 
for you to proclaim his goodness, to proclaim his mercy. What has God brought you through? Has he given you hope through the forgiveness of your sin? Has he given you hope because he's restored a a relationship or a marriage? Uh, Has he given you hope because he's brought you through an addiction? Because you've experienced God's hope in grief or in sorrow? Has he given you hope because he's broken areas of bondage in your life? Who do you know that needs to know the grace of Jesus? That you can proclaim, is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Who is it that needs to know about the love and the grace of Jesus? Now, here's what I do understand. People are watching. People are watching us. And they learn a lot about us through the way we react to situations, the way we live, if we live in fear or if we live in confidence, if we live in arrogance or if we live with with a sense of gratitude, whether we live in humility, whether we live to serve or whether we live to be served. They see it in our response physically. They see it in our response emotionally. They see it in our response online. Some of y'all are ugly online. Yes, even Christians can be ugly and bitter. People are watching us. What do they see? Are Are they seeing Christ in you, the hope of glory? Or are they seeing some bitter, frustrated person who's hunkering down in safety, just protecting your own little world? And there is this balance. Please understand, there is this huge balance But people need to see hope in us. There was a guy named Edward McKendry Bounds. He actually passed in like 1913. He was a pastor, authored a number of books. I think only two or three were published before he passed. The rest were pretty much published after the fact. But he shared uh, it. The book is called uh, Power Through Prayer, and it's, it's a great little book. Primarily, most of it was written toward young pastors, calling them to a more powerful ministry through prayer. But he shared a quote in that that I came across a number of years ago. It's been the pinned tweet on my Twitter account for years because it just so resonated with me. And it's the one thing that, that continues to drive me as a, as a child of God and as a minister of the gospel of Christ. And the context is that he's, he's talking to the church and he's talking to men and women in this process of, of simply saying, hey, we can try all kinds of newfangled ideas and all kinds of new things. But ultimately what he comes back to is this simple statement. He says, men are God's method. And while the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. Men, women. You see, what he was saying, and this was in the, in the late 1800s, he was saying, the church is looking for new revolutionary ideas. We're trying to grow the church through all these newfangled methods. And, and E.M. Bounds was challenging these young pastors to go, look, look, God wants to make much of the man. That's what he says in this chapter. God wants to make much of the man, not of the methods. God doesn't work through methods. He works through men. God doesn't work through programs. He works through people. 
men, women of the church. He says, God is trying to make you a better person filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, surrendered in prayer, surrendered to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Not so we can come up with better methodology, not better programs, more equipped people. What about you? What about you? Does your life confirm the delivery of Jesus' hope? Are you living with this sense of, of trust, with this confidence, with this joy? Are you still waiting on delivery of hope? Uh, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in this room right now, and, and you're, you're just sitting here saying, man, I'm not really sure that I've received this hope. You see, salvation is this gift, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We can offer a gift all day long. I can offer and offer and offer the gift. The gift is salvation. It's hope delivered through the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I can offer that hope just like a gift. But that gift is not yours until you receive the gift. Some of you in this room or some online, you know about the gift. You know all about Jesus. You had a wonderful time at Christmas talking about Jesus. We know about Jesus. Have you received him? Have you reached out and said, yes, I, I want to receive Jesus? I, I want him for my very own. I want to unwrap the gift. I want to take it out of the box. I want to experience and I want to, to, to live a life filled with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we must acknowledge our sin. To acknowledge my sin. No one had to tell me I was a sinner. I was pretty good at it, and I still am. Anybody else? We, we simply acknowledge our sin and realize there's nothing I can do to pay the price for my sin, that Jesus Christ paid it all. He came to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to pay the price for my sin. And if you would simply acknowledge your sin, say, God, I know that I'm a sinner in the best way I know how. I confess my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. God, I surrender my life to you. Come into my life. Change me. Make me the person that you want me to be. See, there's nothing magical about the words. There's nothing magical about the position of the body. Prayer is an expression of your heart to Christ. And if you would, very honestly and very humbly right now, either in the room or online, if you would simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've, I've displeased you my life in the best way I know how. God, I invite you into my life. Thank you for sending Jesus. Come into my life, forgive me, and make me the person you want me to be. I promise you that God is going to do exactly what he said he would do. Paul tells us in Colossians that in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And he will begin a new relationship with you. Maybe that simple prayer expresses the desire of your heart, either in the room or online. We would love to have a conversation with you. You can text us if you're online. You can talk with us if you're in the room. I would love to help you understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to know that you have received the hope, that hope has been delivered, 
that hope has been received, that you get a delivery confirmation of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to live a life that's different, radical for the cause of Jesus Christ. Are you with me this year? We truly are in this together as a church to bring glory to Jesus and make much of who he is. We'd love to interact with you online. Please just let us know. How can we love you? How can we encourage you? How can we challenge you? How can we help you connect even from a distance? We'd love to do that. In the room, let us know how we can do that. After the service, I'll be out here. I'd love to just visit with you. But right now, can we just pray together? Father, throughout this building, throughout our community, Lord, wherever someone may be watching right now, I pray that your spirit would prompt them, God, to do what only you can do in their life, and that is to draw them to you. The word of God says no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them or enables them. So, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. Would you convey your love? Would you convey your grace and your mercy? For that person that needs to come to know you, God, would they place their trust in you right now and, and let us encourage them? If you're in the room and you need to know what that means, come and find me afterwards. I'd love to just talk with you. For those that have trusted Christ, are you living with hope? Are, are you proclaiming his love and goodness? Are you revealing his hope through your life, through your circumstances? Is there joy in, in sorrows and sufferings? Are you truly experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit? We want to help you. That's what we do as a church. We rally around each other. So, Lord, continue to work in us. Continue to conform us to your image, to be more like you, to live with hope. God, we love you. We praise you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.